0: This is Archery Unfiltered, the show that cuts out all the nonsense and gets right to the core of what it takes to make you a better archer. Happy Saturday, guys. Uh well we <laughs> Archery Unfiltered here. Uh, we got a new uh, you know, it's going to be a double podcast this week. Um I guess Sort of to make up for my sleepy podcast on uh, Thursday, but I got a great guest. Um, a gentleman named Mike Pastelli re- reached out to me um, and said, Hey, you know, I know you don't have many guests on, but if you'd like to chat, I'd, I'd love to talk about some stuff. And uh, he's like, he said, I think I got a lot I can bring to the table, at least for your listeners. Um, Mike has a crazy badass resume where he's basically done everything that i've done in my career maybe times 2 right so you know you could take what if if you believe in the things that i think i know what i well things i think i know what i'm talking about and you trust me to give you solid information i believe that this guy also has solid information um you know it, he's uh he's battle tested um he's he's shot you know head to head with blake um he this dude's from the other side of the country, you know, so he's not he's not a west coaster, so he has his own you know it's it's kind of strange like the different parts of the country have their own camps of shooters. this guy's from a different camp that shoots just as good if not better than a lot of the west coast guys um he's an amateur, but he's a national champion in the amateur class a lot. Uh, I try to pressure him a little bit to go pro just cause I've, I've heard that <laughs> people telling me, Hey, get this fool to go pro, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I understand his position on, on why he wants to stay in, in the amateur class. And, and quite frankly, you know, he's doing good at it. Everything he, he says in this, uh, in this episode is, is rock solid. And, uh, it's given me some homework to do for myself. So, um, I I hope you guys enjoy it. The guy's name is Mike Pistelli, right? You can find him on Instagram. Uh he's on Facebook. Um let me see here if it, is there any kind of strange spelling to his name. Uh no. No, you guys just go type in Mike Pistelli. His profile picture is him. I think it's his face wearing a a gray hat. Um the guy's a beast. Super nice, super humble. Uh you know, I don't want to say he's, like, the protege of, but, you know, he's under cousins. So, he's learned to shoot under cousins, basically. I think, to a degree, and then I think he, you know, taught himself the rest of the way. So, um, you know, give it up for Mike Pistelli in just a few. I hope you guys enjoy it. And, um, man, uh, thank you guys for all the support. Mike's one of these guys that came out to support the show. So, uh, yeah, kick ass. Uh, next tournament coming up is going to be Nevada City in two weeks. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, not two weeks. It's this weekend because it's Saturday now. It's next weekend. Next weekend's Nevada City, guys. So get your shit together. It's a safari event for anyone that's not in California. We got a safari event to do. I'm sure you guys got a safari event coming up, if not field archery. For us, it's going to be field archery right after. So, uh Yeah. You guys enjoy this episode, Mike Pastelli, super cool dude, and uh, you know we'll keep it rolling. All right, peace. And uh, we're on with Mike Pastelli. Mike, uh, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm I'm doing great, Wendell. And, uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on here today. Ah, oh, dude, and, I,
0: uh, and- I appreciate you coming on. I I really do. Um, I know it's
1: early out there, West Coast for you.
0: Nah, you know what? I'm always up at this time. <laughs> you know, most of the time I'm up an hour earlier. But uh, no kidding. So, Mike, for the guys on the West Coast here that don't know who you are, I've heard your name before. Uh, give us a rundown on your resume so that all these fools listening know that you know. Oh man, I kind of sound like Greg Pooler. All these people listening uh, <laughs> know what your credential, what, know what your resume is, because you got a pretty awesome resume.
1: Yeah, thanks, Wendell. I appreciate it. Uh, so I began shooting archery in the early 2000s, uh-huh. and uh, a friend got me into it for bow hunting purposes, but I quickly hooked up with the folks from BCY in Connecticut. I moved to Connecticut in 2003, mm-hmm. and they kind of took me under their wing. In my first field shoot I ever Uh, First recorded field shoot ever did was actually with Chris Destin from BCY and Dave Cousins at a a place in Massachusetts called Lunenburg Archery. And I remember I shot a 541 and uh, they had talked up Dave and they were like, wow, you know, Dave is this incredible shooter. And, you know, we shot and I'm like, you know what? The only thing he does more than us is just puts more of the arrows in the middle. (laughs) <laughs> I remember thinking that. So, like, nah. like, you're, like, you're, like not, you're like
0: not impressed. Yeah, like, <laughs> <Dave laughs>
1: and I became really good friends after that, and I was the only one of the crew that didn't snore, so we ended up rooming together quite a bit. Whoa! Um, it took about four years for me to win my first national championships. That was um, Redding. I won Redding in 07
0: Is this an uh, amateur freestyle class,
1: right? Amateur freestyle class. Because yeah. I noticed so,
0: you your resume and mine is very similar. It looks like. Dude, did you make a run at shooter of the year at any point?
1: Yeah, 2013, I did all of the NFA events, and I I ended up second to Mark Pasmore, uh-huh. who then turned pro. Um, that was a year I won my first field nationals. Was 2013, but wow. like each tournament, I got a little better. Uh-huh. Uh and in, indoor was always my nemesis. You know, I, for whatever reason, I I could shoot really well in field, but you know, put a five spot on there and it always seemed to get me. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, my progression was fairly quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some really good guidance. Uh-huh. Um, cousins pretty much took me under his wing and said, do what I tell you and you'll be fine. <laughs> and, right. Uh, I pretty much did. Uh, you know, I, I, I followed Dave quite a bit with his style of shooting, his, his concepts, his equipment, mm-hmm. and I didn't try to pretend to. Figure out what worked best. I just started off with what Dave recommended, and then mm-hmm. kind of tweaked it to my style. And as I, I learned and progressed, it you know improved. But so 2013, I won my first um, field nationals, um, and I tried. I shot all of the tournaments that year, the NFA tournaments, and made a run for shooter of the year. And I, I missed out to Mark. Um, I got second place in that. So let's see. After that, I, I, I missed. A little...
0: I missed my field shooter shooter of the year, or I'm um, sorry, the NFA shooter year to connor sears by like a point so oh, okay. i'm with you dude uh, it's like right there
1: <laughs> i shot with connor out in um yankton a couple weeks ago we shot the uh world field trials
0: oh shit really
1: but i'll go back i'll go back into that after um, all right all right yeah yeah so from there uh progressively let's see i won i won reading in 07 i run field in 2013 so it was about six years there just struggle mm-hmm. trying to figure things out and then I didn't win it. I I came close to several uh, wins, but I had some national podiums. Uh, I I think I got a second place at what is now the Dakota classic was then. Well, I shot at Pittsburgh. I got a second place there and I got several thirds in field. Wow. uh, Field archery. uh, But I never got that podium until 13. And that was in Darrington. And then more recently, I, 2020, I basically did what Blake did the year before, so I won all of those events. I won the field, the Dakota Classic, and the Outdoor Target all at the same time. Damn. 2020.
0: You've done all this stuff like multiple times. Your, yeah, your resume yeah. is like mine if I didn't stop. <laughs> well, <laughs> assuming no one else got was up to kick my ass. So. Damn, so I didn't know that. You did all this a second time.
1: Yeah, I did it all in 2020. And then in 2021, when Blake came, I ended up second to him in field. And I got a second and a third. I don't remember which one was which. One is the Coda Classic. One was the oh, – I think I got maybe two-thirds. I don't know. Anyway, oh, yeah. I got podiums on both of those as well. And
0: um, I think so, it would be safe to say you would have had first if, if Blake hadn't been there because I think Blake cleaned, <laughs> yeah. cleaned the field yeah, round. So.
1: Yeah, I was there when he shot that clean hunt round.
0: So you are probably – what, what, what did you end up scoring for uh, field nationals? Were you pretty close?
1: Oh, I was, yeah. I was knocking on his door. Um, <laughs> it, was a re- it was actually a really good deal. So, Blake came out a little bit slow, and I did as well mm-hmm. on uh, field. And we both shot kind of subpar, but he still had me by a few points. And mm-hmm. then uh, on a round, we were both were stroking. Mm-hmm. I only missed two, and he cleaned it. So, Damn. I shot a 58, and he shot a, a 60. Damn. And I was there and he shot the, you know, the last target was like a 20-yarder. And he almost missed. You're <laughs> <laughs> he, he sweating it. You're totally sweating it. The nerves, and, um, were, the nerves were on. Oh, yeah. He he owes me one because in the animal round, him and uh, the other guy, who were partnered up, were about to stand up and shoot the wrong targets.
0: Oh, good and, for uh, you, man.
1: I hey. stood up and I said, dude, I said, it's we're up. And we got to switch because I can't let you do that. You know, if I'm going to beat you, I want to beat you fair and square.
0: Dude, and, I, uh, I did the same thing for a young guy on our target, and uh, the dudes that were on my target were like, hey, let, like, get a little of this. This dude's about to shoot a zero, and I was like, oh, come on, man. You can't let that happen.
1: No. Uh, I, I, actually, somebody did that to me, and that really, really set a fire under me. It was on my own fault. I mean, I, I know the rules, and mm-hmm. um, in 2014, the year after I won in Darrington, I was rolling 13 out of 14 on the animal round on the dots, and uh-huh. I was going into my second half, and I, was, I wasn't I was going to. I wasn't gonna miss. I was just rolling, and I yeah I ended up. The targets on the on the switch were the same. There was only one face, so it didn't really matter. And then the next face, the individual let me get up and shoot my shot. And he's like, "Oh, I think we're supposed to switch." And I was like, "Oh,
0: fuckers!" I just did that to myself. Yeah,
1: he. <laughs> I, I let myself lose, but the way it happened was like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> uh it frustrated me but i know so damn. I, I wasn't gonna let that happen to blake so anyway we became really good friends after and it's all good uh-huh. um so he ended up winning that 2021 and yeah so i think i've got five five national championships god damn probably uh, a dozen podiums so safe to Been say
0: around. safe to say you can shoot <laughs> don't
1: know for a bit yeah <laughs> you can no, shoot I some thought, arrows um, 2018, I shot a 560 hunt around in a tournament. Whoo! As an amateur, so that was pretty cool. Damn!
0: Pretty so cool. Are, Damn. are you up there with the with Blake? With the you hold the record with Blake? As far as what's that?
1: Oh no, I, I shot that at a tournament, but not national. So
0: okay, so whatever tournament I, that was, you definitely hold the record there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
1: it was uh, actually called the New England. Uh, shoot, it, it's one of the oldest running uh, shoots in the country. Oh, that's it's up cool. Up in the Lunenberg, Mass, and they do a field and a hunter. And in that particular, I just got a hold of PSE that year. I just started shooting PSE, and the previous tournament I shot, um, I, my scores went up significantly when I switched to PSE, and they just stayed there. I shot a five fifty eight, and it was my highest by far Holy crap. at that point. And then that was before I tuned the bow, and so then I went through and and did some, the process of tuning it. And I'm like, I have to shoot one more tournament, and I had some family stuff going on, so I couldn't shoot the full field and hunt around. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I decided to shoot the hunt around, and then I went in, and then I shot a 560, and I was stoked. I'm really glad that I got that opportunity to shoot that other round because it was late September, so mm-hmm. it was practically over, you know, field archery was at that point in the in the Northeast. So, so was,
0: let me ask Mike, what are you doing now? What's your? Because this is all this all just just happened. Like what what's uh, what are you getting into now?
1: Well, I, um, I just shot the world field trials in Yankton a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of family stuff going on the first quarter of the year, so I didn't get much time to train. Uh-huh. And my, my wife and I kind of tried to make this happen because I had tried to I shot2,000 it was either 18 or 19 uh, world I'm sorry, feet of field nationals in preparation for the following year they're going to have the trials and then that was going to be done in the U S the mm-hmm. finals were. So I was going to try to catch that team. So I didn't have to travel internationally right? in order to shoot. Um, so that got, um, canceled because of COVID. And so this has been like a four year process of trying to shoot that trials. And so it was a, uh, it was a, a battle, but I made it to it. And I, I had, enough time to get all my equipment prepped uh-huh. and all my technical, cause you, you have an unmarked day, a marked day, and then you have a trials And the unmarked day is, uh, it's usually the make or break of the, of that particular round. You have to, you have to judge the distance to the target. You have to <clears throat> judge your cuts. Jesus. And you have to do it all in your head. And you've got no, you can't even have a smartwatch. I mean, no phones, no watches, no nothing. You, you have no electronics. So, Jesus. um, <clears throat> that's really a, you know a really cool style of field, and uh, so I had all my uh, my tech done. And um, David shared some of that information a long time ago before I started shooting. Of course, that I did. He probably wouldn't now, but um, so I, I, I collected all the information uh, like a sponge uh, back uh-huh. in the early two thousands, and I had it all. So I was able to prepare, uh, and I did, and I had all of that nailed down. But I kind of flipped the quarter and said, you know, it's in Yankton. I've shot Yankton. Mm-hmm. several times i even shot the old ranges when they had it at lewis and clark the old field ranges and that's where they were going to have this so i'm like hmm. it wasn't that crazy the cuts you know we had a few mm-hmm. targets that were aggressive but so i flipped the quarter and said i don't have a lot of time to train i'm just going to shoot flat ground so i can get more shots off than try to make some really difficult shots you know oh, really yeah. steep shots and man did i i chose poorly <laughs> when i got there we climbed a mountain to start, and the, the unmarked round was literally straight up and down the whole day. There was, Ugh. like, maybe one one target with a half a yard, half a meter cut, and the rest of them were all, like... <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> every Th- single one.
0: It runs meters for that yeah. fetus. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, every single one had a cut, and it was like, oh, okay. So,
0: Jesus, man. Well...
1: But, yeah, so I spent a lot of time preparing for that, and that was kind of fun. It was... It's unique. It's... Um, they don't have it offered in the U.S. very often, especially on rounds. And to train for it is very different because I don't know. It's not. It's not something you're going to see. So you have to basically put together your own training facility. And, and I right. have a I have a 14 target field course here at my house, which I put together. So I basically worked through it with that. But.
0: Holy crap! So yeah, are are you are you going to join the pro class now? Like, is that next well, on your list?
1: Uh, you know, I've thought about it quite a bit, and it, people would be appalled at how little I actually get to train mm-hmm. and go out there and shoot. Um, so, for me, the difference between the amateur class, the high-end amateur cra- class and the pro class is your average to your best mark scores are significantly closer together than uh-huh. your pro class, and your average to your best scores for your high-level amateurs are a little further apart. That makes sense. So. What I, what I say is basically, you know, the pro class, those guys get to train and they get to shoot more tournaments so that on average their scores are going to be higher mm-hmm. or closer to their high end, uh-huh. whereas the amateurs, you know, may not get to shoot as many tournaments, don't have that opportunity as much. They're, they they can roll with the pros occasionally. They'll mm-hmm. shoot similar scores, but on average they're going to get beat because that pro has just got more experience
2: uh-huh. in the
1: in – the, in the situation, you know, in the tournament situation, right. you know, over time. So for me, I don't see uh, a reason to go pro because I don't get to train as often. And a lot of times, um, you know, I'll show up completely under trained, but my equipment will be money. And then by the time the end of the tournament comes, I'm rolling.
0: You're, you're warmed up again. You're back, yeah, you're back so in like the groove. At,
1: right. At feed field nationals. The unmarked day. The first seven targets cost me a spot on that team. It was it was tough. I misfaced uh, a couple of targets, so they have a, a 60 and an 80-centimeter face. You have to figure out which face is which before you range it. Uh-huh. And so I, I didn't do it properly on a couple targets, so that cost me some big points. And oh, yeah. then um, I switched from a button to a hinge on target seven, and then I cleaned all the dots out. So I shot really well after that. Ooh, and then they, the, 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 mark, the mark day, I shot the fourth highest score. Uh-huh. And then the there were four targets that afternoon and four targets the next day that considered the eight-target trials, and I won that. So I was on top of Jesse, Dave, and everybody. So by the time I got to the end of it, I was rolling, but I was a day late, a dollar short.
2: <laughs> Damn, man.
1: You know, So it was like, okay, that is the perfect example of a high-end amateur versus the pro. The pros can roll higher scores on average, closer to their best, mm-hmm. than the amateurs can just because that – The fact that they're traveling, they're constantly shooting under pressure conditions, and they get an opportunity to shoot and train a lot more.
0: Right, right. Well, because that's their job. It sounds like you're right there, though. Like, like you can roll with the best of them. Like, uh, close. (laughs) I mean, dude, you're up there, dude. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I I mean, I think it's great that you go out there and and do the damn thing for one. But you know, to stand toe to toe with those other guys. That's pretty damn cool.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. Uh, you know, I, I have nothing to lose, so I'm kind of dangerous, and I know what I'm doing, so I can put together good rounds. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I definitely feel like there's a mental advantage to being that guy that's got nothing to lose. Oh, yeah. Uh, versus, you know, the, the number one with the target on the back. but Yeah, you know, dude. You can use that as You can use that to your advantage, too. Dude, it's the point
0: um, in, in Rocky, man, in Rocky three, all those young uh, Apollo Creed was pointing at all the young uh you know uh up and comer you know all the young boxers and he's like see the Tiger those guys are hungry and when you got nothing when you got nothing to lose you're just going to make gains yep. on somebody you know yep that's Not awesome sure. man so, so what is your so right, oh I'm sorry go on Mike go on
1: i was going to say right now i'm just uh, i'm switching over from meters to yards and just trying to get a, a basic uh, i've got one set up uh, now and i want another one another bow set up for a uh, field and i'd like to see a little bit of field i think there's a uh, uh we actually have a club in New York that's putting on a safari round uh, in August so I think that's one that I'd like to shoot and uh, maybe a couple of local field shoots between now and then just just for enjoyment.
0: Hell yeah. Uh, in California we got two more. Like there's well we actually got a couple more but there's two that I'm going to attend personally. So and I know most of my listeners probably have like two or three left in them. So uh that's cool. I get to pick your brain and people get to use this information. Hopefully get to use this information before these next couple shoots.
1: Yeah, I've got a lot of interesting things for you. So
0: Awesome. Awesome. Like hey, so what are your plans next year? What what are you gonna do? I mean, I know this season is outdoor season's almost coming to a weird gray area where it starts to do like, you know, safari and fields start to taper down. And then, well, I know there's still field nationals, but then after that, it will be like a couple of feed events and hunting season, and then indoor. Well, what are your plans for?
1: Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate up here in the northeast, the spring really didn't come in until a few weeks ago. And so when I got off, let's see, when I got on the plane to go to Yankton uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was 55 degrees and blowing 25 miles an hour like every day. And when uh-huh. I got off the plane, yanked, and it was like eighty-five and humid, and <laughs> that cold temperatures just went away the last few weeks. So for us, it's almost like we've just started to get into outdoor um, the weather. So we'll we'll ride that. You know, There'll be we have our um, sectionals in like July, I believe, and some state is in June, um, and we've got tournaments that go. We'll go all the way through September with that. But oh, as far sweet. as the national, yeah, as far as the national level goes. Um, you know, yeah. Once Mechanicsburg is over, the field is pretty much over.
0: Are you throwing uh, your hat? In? Are you throwing your hat in for Mechanicsburg?
1: Not at this point. I wish I could get there. I, I don't know if I can, and a lot of times it'll be kind of last minute for me. So we'll okay. see. I'm not sure at this point, but um, definitely got to do some local field. Um, well, that makes sense.
0: That to uh, me, it makes sense to stay amateur if you're just gonna if you're mainly gonna roll like one or two nationals and then do a bunch of state, you know, state local stuff,
2: but
1: yeah, I would love to do more national tournaments, but I've got, I mean, we've got a big family here. Uh-huh. married. I've got three kids, um, to two, <laughs> two full time, one part time, and then we've got a farm. So I've been a, a ten and a half a half acre horse boarding facility. We've got like anywhere from 10 to 13 horses at the time. And we've got goats, chickens, turkeys, you name it. So it is busy. Holy cow. <laughs> dude. dude. No shortage of busy, so <laughs> uh, that, just maintaining that, that's a full time job.
0: Yeah that that all makes sense to me. I you know I I threw my hat in the ring to to run the pro class because I was getting a lot of calls of sandbagging, but mm-hmm. I'm definitely nowhere near. I I would I'll put money I'm nowhere near where you, where you can shoot right now even. So I totally understand the um, you know. You know, just put your money where it makes its, you know, where it makes the most sense. You know, so. yeah,
1: no, and, and like U.S. Archery, I get to shoot against those guys. Yeah, open so. class. Yeah,
0: it's just yeah, open yeah. class. Yeah. And in right. in and Vegas,
1: indoor, yeah, indoor, same thing, championships. So yep, yep. I'd actually signed up for the championship class this year in Vegas, but I had to pull out. that's so much going on here, unfortunately. But makes sense. I made it, almost made it to this big stage in Lancaster. Um, I was like one round. The guy who ended up. Uh, second place in the uh, the amateur deal beat me by actually we tied, but he beat me by tens in the last last go. So I was really close to that, but damn, the first time almost almost not quite enough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Lancaster's awesome. That's awesome that you shot it.
1: Yeah, it's nice because it's fairly close to me. So we don't have a whole lot on the east coast. That's in, really I mean, besides Mechanicsburg, that's within driving range.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I have a my buddy Carlos lives out there and. Uh, on that side of the country, and he's saying like it it if you want to go to a shoot, it's a drive
1: yeah you got yeah it's it's a big big drive, all
0: right, so Mike, we covered your badass resume. um let's get into the stuff that I really want to pick your brain on. Do you do anything special like for tuning tuning wise for field archery?
1: yeah, uh I've got pretty good system down now my my belief is that if your arrows are group tuned. And you have a perfect sight tape, you're gonna be better off than most people that walk on a field range. I,
0: I would agree there. I think a, a perfect sight tape is crucial because I think there's some amount of forgiveness in a solid sight tape.
1: Yes. No, for sure. You could definitely make a, a not great shot and hit a dot on a field round. And yep. we do it all the time. So, and that's how we want to set our equipment up.
0: How do you well first let's start with how do you get your sight marks? Like how do you get your sight tape rolling?
1: Okay. There's a really interesting system that i've developed in order to get my sight tape and what i do and, and just in general people screw up their sight tapes lots of different ways but one of the different ways they do it is they they use different target faces at different distances mm-hmm. different lighting at different distances and so they'll go to one spot get a 20 and go to another spot and get an 80 and so the lighting the winds um the the actual visual target representation so the dot to 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 pin size it's got to be almost identical at both distances because how you hold it can really be dictated by what your your brain sees Uh so some people hold the bottom of the x some people hold the bottom of the dot some people hold right in the middle um but if you're not doing exactly the same at both distances you're not going to get an accurate tape so um that's one thing that if you're going to do it by hand and i say by hand because i use a hooter shooter to get my marks if you're going to do it by hand, you have to have the exact same visual representation at the longer and the shorter range.
0: That makes sense. Um,
1: so I use a hooter shooter and I'll group two my arrows with it. So what I'll do is I'll set it up at, you know, like 80 or hundred yards and I'll shoot all my arrows down range. And then the ones that don't group, I'll take them out, I'll rotate them and I'll basically knock tune. And until I get a group that's as close as I can get, and I'll, I might change knocks, but I can usually get, um, Pro Tours, Eastern Pro Tours is typically what I'm running. I Uh usually get a group uh, at eighty. I'll get it the size of a golf ball at a hundred, smaller than the size of a baseball. God
0: damn! What kind of knocks do you shoot, Mike?
1: uh, Right now I'm shooting a Biter smooth release. Uh huh. uh, Pin knocks and uh, really liking them. They uh, they've got a little bit more beef to them, Mm -hmm. and they seem to be holding their integrity really well. Yeah, they're tough. Uh, I like biters for that reason. If you hit, uh, I'm sorry, not biter boning bonings boning yes oh boning excellent man Release pin knocks yeah I'm sorry I didn't mean to say butter no no that, that's good um, yeah no uh, I've been working with those guys here in the last probably six months to a year and I'm using their x3 veins which are 1.75 with a fairly high profile super stiff mm-hmm. and've uh, been really happy with uh, both both of those components is the uh, X stick on the x3
0: is like a, a shield cut right?
1: It's kind of like a semi shield cut, yeah. So it's got a pretty good profile on it uh-huh. um, for the one point seven five, uh, but it's not huge. It's not like the, um, it's not like that, you know, the super high profile vein that they have.
0: Um, you you go three fletch or four fletch?
1: Yeah, I'm running three fletch for outdoor. Uh, I don't really see a need for anything more than that. Yeah, and, and the veins they they stick on like I don't have to do anything except stick them on the arrow, and they stay, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. There's, there's there's a lot of different challenges out there with other products, but
0: and what point uh, weight are you running on your pro tours?
1: Pro tours, so I'm I've just started playing with 380s. I've been running 420s, but as the equipment has got better through the years, I'm pushing the edge of weak.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so I'm running 120 in four 120 grain in the 420 pro tours uh-huh. is what I have been running, and they shoot great, lights out. But uh, I just snagged a dozen from. Um, Cousins uh, from previous relations he had, and I'm playing around with them, and I think they might actually be a little better for me. I think they're when I shoot good shots. I think they tend to core a little bit more to the center. Are these the? Um,
0: Are these stiffer or weaker?
1: They're a little stiffer.
0: Interesting. Um, Okay. So,
1: but I'm running. I'm running really weak, four twenty, and this kind of puts it onto the medium side of Uh where I should be. Um, and so he's been running that arrow or he ran that arrow uh, previously for a bit and he, he liked it quite a bit. So I'll play with that now. And, um, but yeah, so, uh, going back to the, how I get my sight tape set up, I'll use a hooter shooter. I'll group two of my arrows. I'll get them dialed where I want them. And then I'll get a mark, a long range mark. So while I'm tuning them at a hundred, then I'll get a mark mm-hmm. and then I'll, I'll move the target or I'll get a different target. Same target face, Dot the size ratio. So if I'm using like a, um, a 65 centimeter field face, which is the biggest one at a hundred at 30, I might use the birdie or I might use the 20, you know, the 20 yarder. Right. Uh, a 35 centimeter. I think it's 35. Uh, maybe it's a 20. I don't know. The small one. You the know, bir- the one that goes to 30 yeah, yards,
0: the birdie target.
1: Oh, so no, you said, one. you said it goes to 30 yards. It represents the same thing. So okay. on a Hooter Shooter, it's a little bit easier because, you know, you're not trying to hold. You just center it and shoot it. Uh-huh. Um, but you need – I've seen I've, – I've done this for other people as well. And I've seen sight pictures that make it difficult to center it with a Hooter Shooter. Really? So you can be sure that it's really difficult to center by eye. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so that helps a lot to have enough magnification to get in there and dial it. So I'll get a, a 30 – and I'll get 100 or an 80. And then um, the magic of archer's advantage is in that keep height number. So that's going to get all your short ranges perfect. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll then shoot a three-yard mark by hand. Okay. And so I have the gap from 30 to 100. Mm-hmm. And it's the gap is more important than the numbers because the hooter-shooter isn't going to shoot like me. But once I get a tape developed, I'll just move an indicator and uh-huh. then run it. Because the, the, the gap is in re- relationship to the speed of the bow. Right. And that's going to be perfect based yeah. on the hooter shooter. As long as that is so constant, get, yeah. That's right, exactly. Unless something changes on the bow, it's not going to, oh, you know, some humidity might change a little bit, but you can adjust, you know, as you as you shoot. But, uh-huh. um, so I'll get a, a, a 30 and a 100, and then uh, I'll check it with a three-yard mark. And so a three-yard mark is critical uh, because that's going to make all your short ranges out to 20. Spot on, and it's going to help out with the mid ranges. So uh-huh. um, that's how the archers advantage algorithms work. I'm not 100 so percent sure.
0: You get your three yard mark reference, and then you fudge the peep to uh, arrow or peep to the peep.
1: yeah I'll fudge the peep, uh-huh. peep height number in the sight setup
0: until so it matches that
1: my actual mark matches the three yard mark. Yep.
0: Oh, that's and then I'll,
1: cool. I'll use I'll use the gap that I have at thirty to hundred, and I'll go and you know I'll shoot my thirty. Uh And I'll get it. And then I'll just use the gap to know my hundred. So, and then I'll set a sight tape on that. And then I go back and, you know, throw it on and test it. It's usually spot on.
0: That's legit, man. (laughs) Yeah. Then, you
1: know, when you go to, you know, one particular target is dark or light and you're shooting, you know, maybe a little bit low instead of saying, Hey, you know what? I'm going to adjust my indicator because I'm a little low. You can realize that, you know what? The tape is money. And yeah, if this is the only target that's low, maybe it's the lighting, maybe it's something that's making me shoot this target low the way I'm holding, Yeah, and then you don't have to worry about that. Then you know that you're just going to make a stronger shot. Oh, like you just said, higher.
0: just the yeah. the way the pin sits on the face, you know, like uh, yeah, certain exactly. targets, you know, slight incline, uh, different lighting, for whatever reason, will pull your pin, will we'll seem like it's pulling your pin one way or another. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Oh, that's cool, man. I like that. I like that method so for getting this, if, the tape.
1: If people can walk into a tournament with arrows tuned at hundred yards in the sight tape, they're going to gain points just because of that. Just I mean, on confidence. I see people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you walk in there and you know your equipment's perfect. It, it's absolutely pounding, and you know that's that's gonna, like you said, build confidence. But you go in there and you sh- you start shooting and you don't have to chase marks the whole time. I see people losing marks. Uh-huh. the screws, they call it like all the time, and it's just not prepared. But um, that saves you, believe it or not, it saves you time iterating a site tape because you don't have to iterate it. <laughs> right? You know, it's it's already there. It's yeah. built in. You've it's concrete. It. It's concrete. You've got the data. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. So for so the, for oh, I'm sorry. Go
1: on. Uh, for tuning purposes, the main important thing that I'll do for tune is torque tune. Torque tune, really? As, yeah torque tuning is like the the one type of tuning that can actually help you create a more forgiving situation
0: interesting i truly believe
1: that um dave got me doing bear shaft tuning Uh i don't think that does as much as torque tuning does Uh it's i I shot bows that were bear tuned bear shaft tuned to 50 yards Mm -hmm. um not sure they shot any better than ones that weren't bear shaft tuned at all gotcha um can't say whether or not they it's actually beneficial or worth the time but i can tell you that just having the bow roughly set up so that that arrow comes out straight is is better (laughs) than having it come out sideways (laughs) as far as i can (laughs) tell so i'll get it i'll get it as close as i can with the shims i'm using the psc product so i can shim the cams so you
0: start with a bullet are you going for a bullet hole through paper I, i
1: don't even put anything through paper i'll just go I'll get my fletched arrows. I'll set it up by eye,
2: uh-huh. approximately
1: where the previous models that I've had have shot well. Uh-huh. And then I'll go and I'll shoot a bear, a fletched arrow and a bear shaft at 20. And then I'll adjust the cams to get that bear shaft basically on top of the fletched shaft. Uh-huh. And then at that point, I can decide whether or not it's worth it to go out farther um, and then continue to you know iterate a little bit with the, with the rest. But what I don't th- see the benefit of really getting too far technical with that
0: that makes sense um what uh distance do you torque to net
1: uh any distance honestly you know the further out the more you're gonna see but the problem is when you start torquing you you're you're, when you push the the riser to the left or the right you start bringing that blade up so you'll start to see vertical issues but Uh it doesn't matter as long as it's roughly so i think 50 meters is uh what i talked to in this last Right Uh-huh. Um, and it's usually, let's see, it's usually to the l- stabilizer to the right is the, the critical torque. Right. The one to the left seems to come in really easy. So when you twist to the right and you shoot the shot, that's the one that's most critical. And what I do is I set my overdraw on my rest at about feet of max, which is, I believe, six centimeters from the pivot point of the bow. Uh-huh. This is about two and a quarter inches. So I set that back about two and a quarter inches and I my sight all the way out. And then I'll go and get a zero with the flesh, you know, with the shaft, the uh, flesh shafts. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm talking bear shaft unit before I will get a zero and then I'll torque it left, torque it right. And then I'll bring the sight in a notch at a time until I get to the point where, you know, when I twist it to the right, they're basically in the same group. You know, at that point I've got a bow where if I'm getting a little sweaty, my hand goes one way or the other, it's not going to affect the,
0: so where that arrow mike you torque tune your sight yes you're not moving your rest in and out you just you no. say you set your rest at a certain distance and you move your sight that's right Ooh, dude this is something i want to try man
1: i've yeah. done so i've done torque
0: tuning with both i've i've fiddled with both sight and um blade but i've never set the blade why do you set your blade at the distance you set it
1: well, one of the things about torque tuning is arrow length. So, if you get a really long arrow that sticks out beyond the riser, uh-huh. it's way more difficult to get that to torque tune. So, that and the fact that the arrow length that I have uh, is going to be right around where the riser is, and bringing that blade back gives me a little bit of extra clearance, you know, with the point of the arrow. Um, plus, if I want to run lighter arrows, I've got the ability to shorten them. Uh huh. So I ran a I ran an arrow setup for three D where I was running a shorter pro. Pro Tour with 100-grain point, and that sucker was coming out of there at 296. Oh, my God. And they, I shot a, a 717 50-meter round over that just practicing one day Wow, to see how accurate it was, and I was really impressed with it. But, yeah, so to, to have that, and and that's kind of what I learned from Dave as well. That way, you only have one variable to work with instead of two, because if you're messing with your rest and your sight, then like, you've got two variables going at the same time. Right, so right. So if you set your sight or your rest where you want it, Um, in the end game and then you move your site you can still achieve the same so you every bow is different but you start with it all the way out and you'll find that there's a position on that site bar that's going to represent your best torque tuning
0: interesting man you know the thing you said about the the rest and the site totally makes sense to me because it's like you would have to try your rest at every single distance in conjunction with every single distance of your site in and out right and, I mean, it would take you all year to figure out what the yeah, perfect torque tune is for that.
1: It literally takes less than 30 minutes to torque a bow. Probably 15, honestly, you
0: know. Oh, man, that's awesome, man. I, I, I'm I, legit going to try this, <laughs> like, maybe yeah, tomorrow. No, it's, <laughs> I
1: can't. It's the best way for you to make your bow forgiving for you and how you shoot.
0: So how close to your blade is the end of your arrow? Uh,
1: Typically, it's it's little maybe an inch inch and a half past it okay uh, on the 420s on the 380s i just snagged it's a little i think it's a half inch longer than that but i haven't i haven't decided if i want to cut them down or leave them where they are i have to kind -hmm. of play with them a little bit more and see what they do uh but i'm not i'm not the guy who cuts it to the blade Uh but i don't want it sticking out further than necessary because the further that arrow is past your rest the more difficult it is to get that that bow to
0: torque tune. yeah i've heard tim gillingham on uh on youtube mention that like the long arrows that go past the blade when you mm-hmm. tor- when you're torquing your bow like left and right that point is like exaggeratedly yeah. moving uh that's right it left could, or right yeah,
1: it creates another variable yep
0: oh that's interesting man okay so torque tuning uh <laughs> I'm definitely getting into that <laughs> I thought I was all done t- Tuning my shit but uh, I'll I'll burn a day <laughs> <laughs> uh, So what else do you do?
1: Uh, well one of the there's uh, Several different little things That I'll do to get my field set up One is I, have to, I know where I hold And how I hold so mm-hmm. I'm going to set My indicator based on giving me The opportunity to have the most amount of Dots and points and X's mm-hmm. For that particular day so I'll once I get my sight tape, I'll typically set my indicator so that I'm high in the X. Uh-huh. Uh, because I know that I tend to get a little bit low in the dot. Uh-huh. Um, and that gives me a better opportunity to continue to hit dots. That um, Dude, so that's-
0: I do the exact same thing. Like, no joke. The last thing, I know you probably work your shot as much as you practice, or as much as you tune your bow, I would imagine. So... Yeah you know, you want, you know, you practice executing holding middle, but there's always that, that once in a while thing that happens where maybe you over try or you over push or over execute. And then it starts to, you know, go towards the, you know, go six o'clock on you. And if you're, Mm -hmm. I always figure if you're high in the X, you're in the dot still, if -hmm. you can execute in a decent amount of time.
1: Yeah. I mean, you got to think about it. Gravity is going to affect everybody and gravity pushes you down. So, more times than not, you're probably going to be on the bottom side of a dot than the top. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there's exceptions to that, but most folks will find that in tournament conditions, they tend to get a little hesitant, a little bit weaker, maybe <clears throat> trying to be perfect. And so that's going to, all of those factors are going to make you end up in the bottom of the dot. Right. So if you take your equipment and you just give yourself that little bit of maybe a, a quarter of a yard or whatever it might be, um, you're already going to pick up points from that. So you know, all of these things that are just helping you with your own situation and how you shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, some people they don't do that. You know, I just want to. I'm gonna set it to the middle, and then they just drop points out of the bottom all day, <laughs> where they, you know, they're making decent shots, but they're just not centering. It. So <laughs>
2: right.
1: instead of you know torturing themselves, just turn the knob and move on. Yeah, <laughs> I remember.
0: I cousin said I did a I did a Dave cousin seminar once. I attended a, what a seminar he put on, and he just said like. You got all this shit on your bow. And he's like, just turn some dials and shit until it's in the middle. He's like, What's the what's the point of shooting free stuff if you're not gonna u- utilize it?
1: Yep. Yeah, that was one thing. He had just come off of some feet of field stuff, I believe, when I was shooting with him for the first time. And I remember every arrow he was clicking. Yeah. I click, click, click. I'm like, man, he's just you know, like I'm taking my marks are my marks and that's it. And he's just like click, click every arrow because mm-hmm. every target's different. The like, yes. lighting's different, the footing's different, yeah. And what you shot previously and what you're gonna shot next don't matter. It's that one arrow that you have in your bow. So if if you're trending to the left, give it a couple clicks. He's you know, tuning. when you get a better t- yeah. for
0: himself because he knows yeah. how he trends uh, on certain targets, right? Yeah, that all, that is- all makes sense. So, Mike, yeah, so give me a rundown of like what on the topic of your sight picture and and how you work on your sight picture. What kind of um, stabilizer weights do you run?
1: So right now I'm running Conquest Smackdown mm-hmm. bars, the uh, .625s. Really like them. I was blown away by them, honestly. Um, I I kind of I shot Doinker for over a decade, and you know they made a great product, but I, I kind of went out there and tried a few of the other ones, and literally it took one shot with those Conquest bars on for me to be like, wow, that's noticeably better than what I had previously. Mm-hmm. So I'm running. Um, Indoor, I'm running 20 ounces in the front, 20 ounces in the sidebar. No I'm shit. I'm 30, 33 in the front and a 15 in the back. And outdoor, I'm running a... Uh, well, right now, I'm shooting the uh, Perform X, so I took a, it's a little bit different geometry on the boat. So I took a little bit off the front. I think I'm running 16 on the front, mm-hmm. maybe 23 on the back. Okay. So fairly, heavy, fairly heavy setup. Mm-hmm. Um, not ridiculous, but um, manageable. And there's a little bit to be said about having a lot of weight on your back bar when trying to get your third axis set up. So um, you can't really run a ton of weight off to the side because what happens is if you hold that bow more towards the ground or up above, the extra weight on the side creates additional torque on the bow, Uh but it makes it virtually impossible to get your third axis if you have a ton of weight off to the side.
0: Interesting. So, so, is there like a, do you find that there's like some sort of limit? Is it different person to person or what?
1: Well, you you can you can get an offset on the front bar, and so you can take care of some of that offset by actually making your front bar go to compensate. Uh huh. Um, it doesn't make the you know, it doesn't make your arrow line up with your stabilizer in the front. Uh huh. It, it cocks it to one side, but if you are running a bunch of back weight and that's the way you want it, you can compensate that way. Otherwise, you just run a slightly lighter setup or. Don't have it quite so far out.
0: Um, Interesting, and,
1: and that'll make the difference. Yeah, so um, thank God my third axis was set for uh, feet of field a few weeks ago. I literally set it, and that was it. I didn't even <laughs> get to shoot a target up or down until I was shooting one for score. I, do you, I you like, set well,
0: your Do you set your third axis um, via the you know the Hamsky uh, protocol?
1: I use uh, Dave taught me a long time ago is a tool that uh, Sherlock at the time made that goes right on your uh, site uh-huh. and it has a level in it. And basically what you do is it, you level it to your bow at, um, flat ground. And then when you, you do it at full draw and then when you draw back, it's going to give you your third axis adjustment. So you basically need to adjust your third axis to make that level also level
3: mm-hmm.
1: at that point you got it. So, uh, I run it I run it uh, at full draw and I do it with this uh, Sherlock tool so that, you know, the site bracket is basically going to be level up and down. And, uh-huh. Yeah. So that's how I do that.
0: Interesting. I'll have to look into that. I wonder if they still have those. Um, so, okay. That, it, that thing mounts to your site bracket.
1: Yep. It, you know, the, uh, the holes that the, that the, the, geez it depends on the site but basically the holes in the back that you would put on the first axis bar uh-huh. move that uh, site up and down and the same holes that it s- the screws into oh okay All so right. the ones at the bottom you screw it into it and then you basically calibrate it to your second axis so that it's level with the second axis and oh. then when you draw it back up high and down low it'll tell you if you have to move your third axis based on the fact that it's not level
0: that is interesting
1: yeah, so you level the sight tool, and then you'll see where your bubble is, and then you have to adjust your bubble.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, interesting. Well, let's see. Um, what else? So, sight picture. Yeah. Me
1: about that. Yeah. All right. Sight picture is a really interesting topic because you can change a lot about the, the, the quality, the timing of your shots with sight picture. And it's mm-hmm. something that a lot of people don't give a lot of time and thought to but I have a different sight picture for literally every game I play.
0: Uh Uh-huh. You're talking about your your pin uh, and lens?
1: Yeah, my pin, my lens, uh, clarifiers, if I have any. I'm going to dictate that to give me the best opportunity to put the arrow in the middle for every style of archery I shoot, and it's going to be different Mm -hmm. for every style of archery I shoot. So um, I've played with a ton of different options for fields. And for, you know, anything with a dot t- style target is going to be different for me uh-huh. than, than indoor or than 3D um, or even the uh, outdoor 50 meter with a big yellow face. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all very different. And you have to abide by the rules of USA archery. So some of them you can of cannot have lights. Right. Um, um, so you have to take that in consideration. So for field, for the longest time, I ran eight power. So, one diopter. Uh huh. Um, and in 2020, I ran a number three clarifier with the smallest peep aperture that I had, 132nd. And that, it was like a rifle scope.
0: That is exactly how I run. That's the exact same setup I've run for field. For everything,
1: actually. It's awesome. Like, it's an incredible setup. So, in the past, before I started working with X-Focus 365, you'd always... Plus, the, the pin would disappear mm-hmm. when you started putting in the high magnification and the high clarifier, and so it was always a trade off. You know, you could have one or the other, a clear target, or you could have a pin. So I put the setup together, and I think it's the smaller peep aperture in combination with the quality of the product that allows you to have a clear target and still see your pin. Yes,
0: a small, um, small peep aperture will get you cl- a clear pin, and a, and um, you know, with the clarifier and everything, you'll be able to see your target right. fine.
1: Yeah, so I've, I've, I'll work with that, and I, I just got my um, AD lens, my A-Power AD recently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I ran that without a clarifier just to see what it would look like. So when you get a lot of magnification uh, and you don't run any clarifier, a lot of times you get kind of like morphing around the edges of uh, like a circle target or a dot, uh-huh. and it just looks really visually weird. So I had seen that in the past, and I wanted to see if I got that with this lens, and I do not. So you can run that 8-power AD lens, the doublet, Uh from X-Focus 365 without a clarifier, and have enough visual dot to aim at and get a little bit of the X and reference in terms of aiming. Because you run a high magnification, too, so those... Short targets. I mean, your scope is mostly dot, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you kind of get you kind of get lost in there unless you have something inside to look at. So you on your field face and your hunter face, you get a really good contrast with the X, so you can see that. Um, so I played with that a little bit. Um, I also shot six uh, six power quite a bit, and I kind of like combination because what what I noticed was that as I didn't have as much time to train, my hold wasn't as good. It slowed up my shot a little more than I'd like. Uh-huh. So by having less magnification, you don't see as much of the movement and you're able to execute your right. shot and right. still hit relatively good shots.
0: Right. Um, your hold is much, much nicer at, with a lower yeah, mag. Visually, yeah. yeah. So
1: you're tricking your brain into thinking the shot's better. Yeah. Now the trade off is when you get into those lower magnifications, you can't see as well at those maxed out target distances. So right. 50 yards and 80 are a little bit more difficult, but it's easier to get shots off in the middle.
0: Yeah, you start to cover more of the uh, target. Are right. you are you running right. a fiber so, for field, or are you running a, yeah, a, a so sticker?
1: Yeah, so I just started using a down pin. Uh-huh. I was using a, um, a drilled fiber, but uh-huh. the problem with that is, you know, you're always worried about marks when you if you take it out to clean it, or if it's raining, or if the mm-hmm. fiber, you know, changes angles, and you're seeing part of it sticking out of the, you know, the backside <laughs> of it. It's yeah. annoying. Yeah. Um, so I basically got rid of, the drill fibers and I went with a um, straight lens and then a down pin. I did a down pin because, you know, like I mentioned before, I, I'm always looking at the bottom side of that dot and I lose that information when there's an up pin. Uh-huh. So with a down pin, I, I get that bottom side of the dot and make sure I'm not getting too lazy right. in the shot. And and I like it because I can swap magnification and it's not a big issue to, you know, get re-zeroed in. Right. I can take it out for rain and clean it and put it back and honestly when you're using a higher magnification the pin size isn't as big an issue Uh because the 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 target's so much bigger so you can run you know a good size flared fiber and it's going to show up with that big magnification that's interesting so
0: the down pin you can frame you can frame your pin with the dot on the bottom side like i can Mm -hmm. i'm visualizing this like it, it this all makes sense to me I've never. Yeah, so, I've, I've only ever run a a black sticker, but I know for field targets, a black sticker will get washed out in a in a black yeah. dot.
1: Yeah, I started off with a black sticker with white model model plane uh-huh. um, paint right in the middle, mm-hmm. uh, and that worked out for a bit. But I was only using a four power back in the day; it was really hard to see. So I gradually evolved to a pin, and then I really liked the down pin. One, because the fiber goes out the top, which is where the light is, Mm -hmm. right? So you don't need as much fiber. And, uh, you know, the color is dependent on your your personal preferences. But right now I'm running this orange fiber that I've not had to light it up this entire year in any situation. Really? Yeah. And I've never used (laughs) it before. But it's (laughs) like usually when you get a bright target face, you need to run a little, you know, color or a little bit of light on like a green. I haven't had had that at all. Interesting. Um, Interesting. So I'm not I'm not running a light. I just have, and it's literally like an inch and a half long piece of fiber. It goes in the up pin and straight up the top, and it just kind of sticks out of the top, maybe an inch and a half.
0: Would you run and, uh, an orange fiber for Safari?
1: Probably not. <laughs> no. Um, I don't know. You get a little bit of post. You know, the pin, the post itself gets a little bit of a halo, so uh-huh. maybe it almost acts like a little bit bispectral. spectral What What
0: What um, do you uh, normally run Safari wise?
1: Safari-wise, if I'm using an orange dot, I historically ran green, but I uh-huh. would consider a, gotcha. a I would consider a black dot for that. Uh-huh. As
0: well. So you use a sticker um, a sticker for Safari.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would consider that. I haven't played with that recently, uh, but I do. There is a, a Safari shoot in the Northeast in August, and so I'll be playing around with that. But hell yeah. Um, I I like to play around with different type pictures for the for each different game, and like indoor, for example, if I'm running a a USA round, mm-hmm. I'll run a sticker that takes up about two-thirds of the yellow.
0: Really? You're one of the big sticker yeah. guys.
1: <laughs> Only for indoor.
0: For But for like a, the USA archery indoor, like the 18-meter, yeah. 23-diameter 20, yep. arrow?
1: Yes, I'll run a two-third sticker because visually you can center that. like It's easy. You don't need to worry about lighting. You don't need to worry about your peep size Mm -hmm. in any venue, in dark venues and light venues. It's all going to be good. All you got to do is center it and shoot it. And two thirds of the yellow takes up just enough so that if you're centered, you hit the middle. And if you're a little offset, you're still probably going to catch.
3: So it's not
1: super critical. You know, if you run it really tight to the edge of the yellow, then it's like super critical. (laughs) Yeah. You're not going to get those shots (laughs) off. And if you run just like, a little tiny ten, you can do that. But now you got to see rings, and now you got to see a little bit better. Yeah, um, which require clarifiers and other things that can make it difficult.
0: And you, you, you got to be comfortable difference. with that pin dancing in and out of the out right. of the dot because that right. I, that's you know I run the same thing all year long. So when I'm shooting, uh, you know the the indoor U.S. Air Tree is indoor. It's just like uh, it's hectic, man. It's like you got to be on point basically.
1: Yeah, and we run the. Uh, two thousand twenty they did uh the nationals where it was basically you had to shoot at a a range that was affiliated. Uh huh. And uh I ended up fourth. I got bumped by um there's a guy who won Lancaster in the open for the men's pro class this year.
2: Oh Nick.
1: Nick um Capers. Capers beat me by a point. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit.
0: That's awesome. But,
1: That's yeah, awesome to so be anyway. on, on par with that guy, dude. Yeah, no, it was cool. It was it was fun. I think Nick's it fucking 90 crushing 5, it. ninety-four. That's five ninety-four. He shot a ninety-five. Whatever. Anyway. Um, Damn. But yeah, no, the 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 black dot on yellow face, if it takes up about two thirds, is enough so you can visually center it and not get stuck in trying to figure out exactly inside of the tan or you know, get lost in those lines. So it makes it for a really smooth, enjoyable shooting. You know, shot so, execution
0: for most people. Would you just say? you know, just play with it, experiment with it when you have time? Is that is that, your, is that your way of, of finding just it?
1: Just pay attention to your own persona and how you shoot and what makes you anxious and what settles you and how fast your shots are breaking and are they hitting the middle? Are you trending? Um, do you always miss it at 5 o'clock? You know, pay attention to those things mm-hmm. and figure out how to visually get the most out of your, your time and effort because, I mean, this is one thing that people do all the time. They sit at their backyards and they try and they're trying to find the perfect form, you know, the perfect release, and they go to a tournament and they shit in their hat. <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> what happens is they're not training for the tournament conditions. They're training to have the perfect form and the perfect yeah. release and to do all those things, but they can't do it in tournament conditions. So yeah, I can shoot all sorts of hinges with no clicks and other things at home but I sure as hell can't do it at a tournament. Yeah. So why am I wasting my time? You know, when the point of it, if, if you're like a casual archer, just go and shoot 3Ds or safaris every once in a while with the kids and don't care. Great. That's great. But if you're trying to knock on the top levels of the amateur, maybe get into the pro class, mm-hmm. you're wasting your time. If you know that, for example, I can tell you this from experience, I get hesitant. I get a little bit weak. I get soft when it, time to you know when it matters uh-huh so i need to adjust my release my everything so that in times when it matters that's when you want to perform right that my thing everything works for how you know for how hesitant or how wimpy i feel and how i'm executing my shot it still needs to work for that so yeah. if i could find a solution that works you know when it matters then i can work backwards and then work to that, so that I'm training like that. Right. I think so, that's
0: the. I think that's the key benefit of doing a lot of like local shoots or state shoots, doing a lot of competitions. The key takeaway is you put yourself in that position and you figure out how you shoot in that environment, in that competitive environment. Versus knowing you, versus just knowing you're the king at the backyard. You know, right? Backyard. You shooting.
1: have to. Yeah, you have to ask yourself that question. Can I do this in when I'm in a position where it matters, and I sh- I know what how I you know how my anxiety feels and what it feels like? Can I do this when it that happens? And yeah. if the answer is well, I'm not sure, then you probably should find something else. Yeah, find another you know execution method with your release or a different release or you know set it up differently. But you're, you're it doesn't matter how pretty your form is if the arrow doesn't go in the middle.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: You know. So I think that's the big step between these guys knocking on the door of like trying to become that next level of archer is that they're not either in the position where they get to feel those nerves or they get so caught up in the, the whole perfect form and perfect execution that they don't they don't allow themselves to. You know, to put their equipment together for that time, because mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, all of archery is being pushed to the head-to-head shoot-offs. You know, everything is being yeah. pushed to head-to-head, so it's no longer you just win. You know, sixty-arrow tournament. Now you got to shoot off. Yes, right. So yeah, the, two very different styles of shooting.
0: You can shoot your best, and it's just going to get you to the party.
1: Right. You yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. So I think that's one of the big things, and what what gets you there are. Are small wins
2: mm-hmm.
1: and small achievements, and they have to build on top of one another. And I think a lot of how people train <clears throat> also leads them to failure. And when I say that is um, right before I shot that 560 Hunter round, I was living in a place where I could only shoot 42 yards.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I was living in a neighborhood, and that was the max I could get out of my yard mm-hmm. at the time. And I could go elsewhere you know, and train and shoot longer range. But historically, previously, I always shot like 70, 80 yards. And I'd, you know, just, I'd spend the day there at those maxed out distances and just shoot those Uh and train on those. And I would miss dots. I would visually see, you know, I'd miss a dot here or there. And it was just, that's the way I trained. So when I ended up at this house that I was at, I ended up shooting, like zero to forty, I did the forty-five yard, yard walk-up, and I did it at forty-two yards and then forty. And so I shot a lot of those short versions of the field archery. And and what I noticed was I I wouldn't let myself miss the dot ever. Mm-hmm. So I either I was either torquing and playing with equipment, or I was shooting for score. And for score, man, I wasn't going to shoot an arrow that wasn't going to hit the dot. And and I really wanted to shoot only X quality shots. Uh huh. And so. I spent the whole summer shooting from birdies to 42 yard targets, and never missing the dot. To the point where, I brainwashed myself to that I just didn't miss. <laughs> you know, it's not acceptable to miss. I I could just not shoot the bad ones. That's I awesome. I know what a good <laughs> shot looks like. And yeah. So, you know, by training like that, you know what I always downsized my targets. You know, like 35 fan I would. I would shoot those on the, on the smaller face. Uh-huh. And what I noticed was when I did that, when I actually got in a tournament and the big faces back up, i like get lost in there and I would shoot like crappy shots
2: mm-hmm.
1: because it was so big. The dot was so big compared to what I was used to shooting at when I was training on subsized dots. Oh, uh-huh, You're swimming,
0: and so, swimming in the target. Yeah, yeah,
1: right. And so I just wasn't comfortable because I wasn't as used to it. So I spent that whole summer and it was almost like, Super boring, <laughs> you know. <laughs> shooting a thirty-five fan is—it's is, <laughs> a huge target, you know. So like that got boring, but I did it over and over and over again, and I never missed the dot. I mean, never. Like that whole summer, I can't—I don't remember missing a dot. And so that's when I went and I shot that five sixty hundred round, and it wasn't because I spent all that time at eighty or seventy. It's because I hit all the ones in the middle. That's you know, if you can shoot from fifteen to sixty yards and crush those. 70, 80 is like special teams. Like, yeah. It's like a football, you know, special teams, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. You only got one at 80, and then you're walking anyway. You're walking after. Yeah. yeah. Right.
1: And you got so many people focused on those 80s, and they'll walk up and miss a 40-yarder. It's like, okay. you know, It's still it's still five points whether you suck it in at 80 or 40.
0: Dude, there's a lot to be said about that. <coughs> it, it, you know, <coughs> crushing the, the stuff that should be crushed, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, so many people are like, oh, I missed the short ones, I missed this ones, I missed ones I shouldn't have. Well, if you hit all those ones and you gave yourself a chance to hit the long ones, you're going to do pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you hit the gimmies, you know. the, the hard ones, you know, even if you don't hit them, you're still going to be up there at the end of the day.
1: Uh, I would say from 25 to 65 yards is field archery. Yeah, I, I would agree. If, if you could crush those targets, then you you – You've done your due diligence. You know, <laughs> yeah. And that's, yeah. But and that's where you need to spend your time.
0: And then hitting 80 and 70, it's almost, yeah. you know, it, it's bonus points to some, I guess, uh, maybe in the pro class or, well, I don't know, man. I, I haven't shot. No, you need to hit them.
1: No, you need to hit them, but uh-huh. you don't need to spend all, all day at 80 yards when you miss a 40. Right.
0: It's like you said, you can build the confidence to hit those shooting exactly right. everything from 15 to, you know, everything right. 15, to 65. Yeah. If you smoke all those, yeah you're going to go into the 80 with confidence.
1: Right. And if you've trained and you don't miss any dots and you train, why are you going to go and start missing dots? It's not what you do. It's not right. it's your brainwashed to, to tell yourself you, you're not capable of that. You, you know the distance, your equipment set, your arrows are tuned. Mm-hmm. You've got a perfect sight tape. Why would you miss a dot?
0: Oh man, that's a real interesting uh, concept, man. Cause yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, I don't want to take the focus off of what you just said, but like when I was practicing for Vegas, all right, I did, pr- I didn't do, i didn't hit my goal in vegas but i did decent in vegas um my the range that i practice at is actually 18 yards it's closer than yeah any other event and all the local shoots i did really good at because i had it in my mind that i can shoot 300s even though there's you know a two yard difference yeah. there so it, it's everything you're saying like it speaks to me i like i that all makes sense to me
1: yeah. yeah. It's all a mental game, it really is. And <clears throat> how you train has a lot of impact. I used to think that if I just threw arrows out, it would really happened. You know, I would eventually uh-huh. get better and just I did volume and volume and volume. And that certainly can get your you know, your physical preparedness up there. Yes. But there's tons of guys that train and shoot so much more than me that I'll beat because when it comes time to put the arrow in the middle, they can't do it.
0: Right. Scoring
2: time. There's
1: no Amount of physical training that can get you to get make that transition. You gotta, you gotta do it. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta do it when it counts. And you know, it it's a different mindset. I don't know. That's why most of those guys are winning tournaments. That you know, smaller percentage of folks are winning more of the tournaments because they know how to do that.
0: Right, right. When it comes time to shoot for score, they're ready. Yep. Yeah. So, how are you training? Yeah, so, uh For you know, let's we'll just say for the archery and filter listeners. It, do you recommend do you have like a field um like a field archery training protocol that you would give anyone?
1: Well, yeah, no, it depends on, on the time of the tournament, what your next tournament is, and, uh-huh. you know, how, how your equipment's set. So obviously you gotta get your equipment set up. Yeah. And that's what you know, first and foremost continue to tune your arrows. Mm-hmm. And before every tournament I'm gonna try to group tune my arrows because mm-hmm. there's always they're always getting beat up. They're always the opponents get swapped out, maybe they're a little bent. Uh Um, you know pins and whatnot so if you're going to go to a a major tournament always group junior arrows because you don't need flyers
0: well mike Um, you you shooting a blade yes do you you have any interest in shooting a drop away at all or just not not matter
1: um i have not had a need for that Mm -hmm. outdoor um definitely different bows like different rests, i believe mm-hmm. uh indoor it seems that it would be a little bit more applicable for me to try i think i shot a uh, drop away rest this year actually on the rtx oh cool um, but i think that it it really depends on the game you're playing and outdoor i've not seen a need for it and i prefer the blade
0: all right that makes sense all the good scores i've ever shot were with blades so yeah i'm with you on that one
1: yeah. Plus, it's one less thing. I mean, the blade could break, but there's a little more moving parts in the drop away.
0: That's what my my buddy Austin says. The same thing. <laughs> He's yeah. like, I'd rather less,
1: not. Less things to break.
0: <laughs> less shit to go wrong.
1: Yeah. So as far as training goes, uh, I I don't believe in junk volume really. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Um, and I think there's so I'm going to get a little bit deeper than probably you're asking on this, but I think there's two general concepts of execution. There's one of the subconscious and one of the conscious. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking command. I'm talking conscious. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a, a group of folks that feel like, you know, you need to blank bail until you're blue in the, the balls uh, <laughs> and, and literally the rest of your life you blank bail, blank bail. And then your back half is going to be subconscious. You send it a shot and it just goes off. Mm-hmm. That's one field. The other field is more of a conscious thought. I'm going to I'm gonna take my way through the shot process. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to do this, this, and that, and then I'm going to focus on the back half. I'm going to move the release. I'm going to talk to the release, and I'm going to focus on that. Uh-huh. The front half is a little bit more subjective that be or the sh- a little bit less focused.
0: The shot IQ uh, yeah. camp, yeah. M- yeah. more like the shot IQ right. camp. Uh-huh.
1: Right, and, and he's... Joel, I know Joel, I know those guys, awesome guys, and they have taken that ownership of that, but that has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. The, the concept of feeling my way through the shot process and focusing on the process uh-huh. has been around a long time. Um, so there's two different concepts. Now you can kind of blend the two where you focus on the process and things become a little subconscious, and that's fantastic when that happens, but it doesn't happen. All the time, right? That's your Um, the out of
0: uh, that's the out of mind shooting where you yeah you're just having a day. You're having a good day.
1: That happened to me the first year I went to Reading in 2007. I (laughs) literally, it was so unbelievable. I the pin would center in the middle and it would go off every time. (laughs) And I just every time it was it was silly. I ran I don't know how many targets the first day was, but I basically I smoked them all. And it was I never got a a groove like that in my whole life. Every day. Um, but yeah, so there's there's the i'm gonna I'm gonna work a lot of arrows to get my subconscious back half to do what it needs to do when the front half is doing what it needs to do mm-hmm. and that I think is more like how Blake shoots mm-hmm. um he does a lot of blank bail mm-hmm. and and that's great if you have the time and dedication to put towards that. I feel like if you don't have as much time, you're better off focusing on the process yes of the shot because it's it's more it's it's less um uh it's less i don't know there's less time required to shoot a good shot mm-hmm. than there is the subconscious method only because he takes a ton of arrows to get there with the subconscious in the conscious method it's more of a you could physically just fight your way through every arrow uh-huh and, and i'm not saying that you know, if I didn't have a, a lot of free time that I would try to, to do more of the subconscious method. Um, I'm just saying that if you're on a time budget, I think that you're, you're not going to be able to do the subconscious method unless you have the time to dedicate to that. Mm-hmm. So your alternative is I'm going to talk my way through my shots. Mm-hmm. And um, so you got to figure out where you're at, what your goal is. Um, you can shoot well both ways. I think subconsciously is going to, Stack arrows better, probably in the long run, if you can do it. Mm -hmm. But where the subconscious has its difficulties is when, okay, now we're at the line. Now I'm shooting against somebody else. Right now, I gotta try to be subconscious, even though my everything's telling me,
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah. Even though you have all this stuff entering the the front of your brain, yeah,
1: right. And I've seen that. I've seen it on all all sides of it. So I mean, I, I watched Blake almost miss a 20 yarder. Mm-hmm. On his last arrow, just shoot that five sixty because his, everything was telling him to be conscious, and he's trying to be subconscious. And um, so, anyway, um, but you got to figure out what, how much time you have to train, and then what, how you want to train, and then after that, once your equipment's set, your group, your arrows are tuned, then you need to get some shots downrange, and you can go and you can stand at one distance and shoot arrows. Um, but I feel like you're you're best bet is to practice how you play yeah and so i'm gonna shoot I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot my four arrows i'm gonna make every arrow an x quality shot if it's not an x quality shot i don't want to let it go and it, i say x quality because as an amateur you're trying to hit dots mm-hmm. right so if i'm gonna make an x quality shot even if i make a marginal shot i am probably hit the dot
0: right but right if you're striving if for an I x that, yeah yeah you if can I fall out that
1: pin, getting if I my hold is getting too long and I see the pin movement starting to get a little bit too erratic, then I need to get out of that shot. Mm -hmm. And so if you can train yourself to do that in your practice rounds, that's gonna transfer directly to your scoring rounds Mm -hmm. when it matters. That's the the most difficult thing. You gotta get to a position where you can shoot X quality shots and then you gotta make yourself not shoot anything but X quality shots.
0: Right. They have to count. All those shots gotta count
1: yeah dude so, on,
0: on this show, I have prescribed junk volume for people, you know, and recently, I'm learning that that is not the way to make improvements. The way to make no. improvements is to shoot for score and I
1: think that if you if you want to strengthen the muscles for shooting, your blank bail might be a good way to do that, or mm-hmm. hit the weight hit the weight room the muscles. <laughs> yeah not for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, seriously, you know strength is never a weakness, so right, right. But, yeah, no, i I switched gears when I ran out of time, mm-hmm. so to speak. I could throw hours at archery, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I don't have as much time to train. And then I increased the quality of my training, and that yes. directly comes out in the quality of your tournament.
0: I, I agree 100%. I, I've gotten a bigger increase in my my average scores as of late, shooting for score and making each shot count versus going out yeah. and just seeing how many arrows I can get down range, you know? No,
1: hundred no, percent. I used to, I really feel like if I only got 45 minutes to shoot, I'm not even going to, I'm just going to go right into score. Yes. I'm just going to make my first shot for score and I'm rolling because you know, I don't know how many times things have happened to tournaments to get running late or you, you were sent to the wrong course. And then you, you literally walk in and your first last sectionals are the same thing. I, was running late, and I got there, and I didn't get to shoot any warm ups. My first arrow was for score,
0: right? And and you just got to you know, go if,
1: you, if you're used to it, and just get in there and go. Dude,
0: sometimes yeah. people warm up, and then there's like an hour lull between you know yeah. the time they close the practice range, and then the time it's go time. So yeah, uh, or yeah. like
1: Reading when you know towards the end of Reading before COVID, it was your way, 45 minutes between targets.
0: Yeah, yeah. There is no warming up. It's just doing doing the thing and doing it uh, properly.
1: Right. And I really think that the higher quality you have in practice is going to transfer so much more to your, your scores. It's not about getting as many arrows down range. Yes. There are days where, you know, you need to build up your strength and, you know, maybe you shoot quality as much quality as you can. And then, uh, you know, maybe you're shooting at the dot for six arrows in your quiver and maybe the other six, you're just, you know, you're not focused on, you're focused on some other part of it. You're focused on speed. You're focused on something, but you're not, you're not associating that with, I try to hit the dot and miss it, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a, it's a disassociation with the uh, the volume that you're talking about versus the, okay, score time. And now I'm going to go, I'm not just, I'm not just trying to work on, you know, execution. I'm actually trying to hit the middle of this target. Yeah. You know, I'm going to,
0: yeah, this needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, maybe better words. For, this needs to happen. Might might put you into. I, I, I imagine Joel Turner would be shaking his head right now, maybe. But I, I know what you mean, though, and I think I think a lot of people understand what you're saying. Is is quality over quantity? Is is uh, is crucial?
1: Yeah, it's it really is, especially you know that it's that one that you you knew you should have let down that you didn't that you're going to let down next time because you know it's not an X quality shot and yes. you're not going to try to hail mary it and, and hope you, you touch the dot. Yeah. I, I so always
0: steady. say in my head, like, Hey man, you owe it to yourself to control, like, yeah. you know, to pick
1: give like yourself the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Don't let the opportunity dictate what, or don't let the shot dictate how it's going to go. Let, let you know, you have to dictate how that shot goes. So, yeah, well, very cool. Mike, Did, is there anything else you want to add to this?
1: Um, let me take a quick look.
0: We covered a lot um, of good stuff here, man.
1: Yeah, you sure did.
0: I love these episodes where I get a guest that gives me something to work on and it's something I can uh, <laughs> that I can take to the range, you know. Because um, I always feel like I'm, you know, I'm very much a work in progress here. So,
1: yeah, another thing that um, I wanted to mention is. You know, everybody wants to be a better archer for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happens when you get in those situations is that your stress level increases, your anxiety increases, maybe a little adrenaline, Mm -hmm. um, get a little tunnel vision. Those are the conditions that you need to be able to perform in, Mm -hmm. right? So we spend the rest of our lives trying to not be in those situations. When in archery, we're trying to be in those situations. Mm -hmm. So... Um, You can incorporate a lot of other parts of your into that to become more familiar with being in that tunnel vision, the pressure situation. For example, uh, the first time that I went to Darrington, Washington, this is a good story, uh, (laughs) I went with my buddy Dave Cousins and Chris Destin and those guys. And if you've ever been to Darrington, it's a little lager town. Well, there's like one bar in this town. And it so happens that they have karaoke. And so Dave wants to go and sing karaoke. And I'm like, why in the hell (laughs) do you want to go and sing karaoke at this stupid bar? We can't sing. And it's like, I don't know. I don't understand. So anyway, we went there and he sang. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then years (laughs) later, I realized that he's doing things like that to put himself in positions where he's under stress and anxiety. to be more familiar with it
0: is dave trying to give himself intentional adrenaline fatigue
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) not not fatigue necessarily but like acclimation in that situation yeah to be under pressure and have to do things Uh uh-huh um the more you train the more you do that the more common it becomes Uh uh-huh and uh i really realized that in 2020 when i they did those three tournaments all at one time in yankton Mm -hmm. and by the last tournament you know, I'm, I'm standing, I think it was the Dakota Classic was last. I'm in like a gold medal match. And I'm like, this old familiar feeling is becoming a lot more easy to work with at that point. You know, I've already been through three tournaments. Uh-huh. And I had a target on my back because I won the first two. And there I am in the gold medal match. And I got to basically shoot the middle on all of them if I want to win the you know win that match. And it's like, you you get more familiar with it the more you do it. Mm-hmm. And the more do it, you do it, the better you get at it. Hell so, yeah. If you put yourself in those situations outside of archery, um, you know, do karaoke, do things that make, you know, that you aren't comfortable with, speak in public. Uh, That's interesting, man. Those things, I've those had... things will all are all the same stress that you're going to get when you're standing around the line at Reading to shoot off at the 88 yard elk. Yeah, They're All man. the same feelings. And The more familiar you are with them, the better off you're going to be in the end yeah that's if that's what you want.
0: So I imagine you've had a bunch of people ask you like how do you handle nerves?
1: You know? uh, honestly not. yeah I mean people no
0: I've been asked like how well, do you handle nerves and this sounds like like it right here Here's your here's the answer <laughs> you know
1: is yeah, get, you get more familiar with it get, get used get to it.
2: it yeah you
1: know David mentioned on some previous podcasts that he did that he he uses his fishing. he does a lot of tournament fishing now and he uses his fishing. To make mistakes under pressure, to try things that he wasn't feel as comfortable with with archery under pressure because he knows what you know works at the time, but he allows that for an opportunity for him to grow in those situations to then translate it to his archery.
0: Is fishing a high pressure sport?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a time based <laughs> thing. So it's uh you know it's under okay. your tournaments are under pressure. I guess I should learn time.
0: that. I should learn how the sport goes before
1: <laughs> before yeah, I right? start knocking <laughs> it, dude. <laughs>
0: I could only – I just picture myself sitting in a boat with, like, a line in the water going, oh, God! <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: but no, no they're so here's the thing technical. with I, – I know Dave takes fishing very seriously. Like, competi- He's, like, high-level competitive at fishing. Oh, yeah. um, I'd imagine it, in its own world there's so much to master there, and then you're, you know, fishing off against some other fucking beasts, you know? Um. Yeah, I have no doubt that's that's a you know high stress environment.
1: Yeah, no, and, and and honestly, if you the more you put yourself in it, the more you get used to it. Ah, I love and, it, and dude. People, people hate public speaking. Go go, find a place, find a job, do something to put yourself in front of people, mm-hmm. make it stressful. I do that for I'm a, I'm a sales rep, so I'm in front of people doing training all the time, <laughs> um, and maybe that helped me with archery I didn't even know it, but you know. I've been doing that for 20 years now. So for me, it's like, it's not a big deal. Yeah, you get maybe a little nervous, but when you know what you're doing, you know what you're talking about, it becomes a little easier. So same thing. If you're equipped to handle those nerves because you trained knowing that you're going to be nervous, then it's a lot easier to handle when the nerves come. Be like, you know what? I I know I'm going to see a little more shake. I'm just going to follow my... Job process, I'm going to do my thing. I got my equipment set mm-hmm. to make, give me the best opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to hit the middle. So once you get all those things aligned, it just kind of flows into it, and next thing you know, you're, you're shooting your better scores in tournaments.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that, that combined with proper practice, and, and like you said, making your practice quality, I think, is, uh, is key. Yeah, I used to tell everyone sure. everyone say how do I get better and I used to just tell people, you know, do as many tournaments as you can. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's there's no one thing, I think it's a handful of things, you know, but I think a lot yeah. of ev- I think everything that you've said today is very much the, you know, on on point.
1: Well, I appreciate that. No, I've been, you know, kind of knocking on the, the doors of the pros in terms of how the, the scores that I shoot and you know, there's a lot of pressure from people, but I really think that those high-level amateurs trying to get to that next level need to to break down what they do, how they train, how mm-hmm. they perform under pressure, and then figure out how to get, you know, those X quality shots under pressure. And then that's the focus. I'm only going to make X quality shots, and then have the mental fortitude to know that I'm capable of making an X quality shot. I'm not going to shoot anything that is not that quality. And yeah. if you can do that, you're literally going to take the next step. Yep, that's perfect, yeah, maybe man. A, it may be a change of equipment. You know, it might be a change of mental, a change of how you practice. Yeah. Maybe it's you know, like honestly, I, when I shot those mid-range dots, it was so boring. <laughs> it was ridiculously boring. But it became like methodically robotic. <laughs> yeah. I drew back. I shot the shot. It hit the middle. <laughs> and I just did that over and over and over again. And I trained myself that that's what I believed. And it really is. It's not flashy. It's not fun, but. Um, if you, if you are trying to hit dots and you spend half your time missing them, boy, you kind of got a problem there.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, so if
1: you're always practicing on those maxed out distances and maybe you shoot six arrows and maybe you hit four, maybe you miss two. Honestly, that's probably a pretty good group, but uh, you miss two. Yeah. You know? Percentage wise, that's pretty crappy.
0: Yeah. So, and, and it's gonna, it's not gonna do
1: anything for your confidence. Uh, I think no. going into it, I, no, you're used to seeing the arrow not being the dot, and, and you're gonna go to a tournament, and that's what's gonna happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Dude, I think that that kind of plays into more of like okay, so the thing I've been doing to practice lately is shooting a half field round for score yeah. every morning. You know, before I go yeah. to work, and it makes sense of what you're saying because I only shoot the eighty. One, you know, once or, you know, twice if I'm feeling uh, ballsy. But the, I, that's it. I yeah. the, the meat and potatoes of what I'm doing is anywhere from, you know, 15 to 65 yards.
1: Uh, it's 25 to 65 yards. That's it, man. You're going to hit the 20. You're going to hit the 15. I mean, you could be, you know, you could have a stick in your eye and you hit the 20. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. But 25... I I, missed, I shot a five fifty seven and I missed a 25-yarder. I, I couldn't believe it, but I did mm-hmm. because it was in my mind. Mm-hmm. 25 to 65 yards is field archery. Yeah. If you practice those targets, you know, and you get comfortable at hitting those dots, and 65 is a tough one, man. That's a four-target, max distance, four-target, four-arrow target. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that 80, give yourself an opportunity, settle it in, make a good shot, you're probably going to be in the dot
2: mm-hmm. or close to it. Yeah, uh, you know,
1: like you said, it's like special teams, yeah. 70 to 80. The, the field archery is that 25 to 65 yards.
0: <laughs> I love that analogy, dude. It's fucking brilliant.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really feel like that it's, you know, like you said, you spend time maxed out distances, watching your arrows not hit the dot. Right. You're training yourself. Yeah. You're training your mental. This is what I do. This is how I shoot. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time on those mediocre distances, 25 to, you know, 65, and I say mediocre but middle range uh-huh and you spend a lot of time on the oh my god the 40 yarders. how many points have you lost on 40 yard targets no. they're like not hard
0: no right no the dropping an era of 40 is usually followed up by me kicking something <laughs> right yeah it's, or a 35 fan or something yeah like the 35 like fan too man oh uh, uh, yeah like, how are you
1: possibly <laughs> you know because you don't put any focus on it, you right? Don't put in the you put the, the focus on the hard it,
0: shit, and then right. and then don't give yourself any um, rewards for you know like you know smoking a whole bunch of eighty yarders. Yeah. You don't give right, yourself so. enough rewards for shooting the thirty five.
1: So spend a day shooting thirty five fan and only shoot X's.
0: Yeah, dude, that's perfect protocol for if you can. If you want to exercise a day on the field, like that's one mm-hmm. thing you can do.
1: Oh, so boring. Absolutely
0: so boring. <laughs> but you, you won't miss a dot all that. <laughs> I love you it, know? dude. <laughs> well, cool, Mike. Man, uh, dude, uh, I really appreciate, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, you just dropped a whole ton of wisdom on us. Um, and I love it, man. Uh, I, I knew a guy like you, when you told me originally just a couple of the things that you've done, I knew you had some deep knowledge, <laughs> you know.
1: I appreciate it. I'm kind of like the the approachable guy, even though like half the people still think think I'm in a pro class anyway, because I'm always hanging out with those guys and Mm -hmm. and whatever. But uh, I'm really approachable. I think that makes it beneficial for me to stay in the amateur class, honestly, because so many more people benefit from me being down that, you know, down and on those bales Mm -hmm. and talk to me. And, you know, I'm I'm changing people's concepts all the time. Mm -hmm. If I go to a you know, in the pro class, those guys—they're already—they got the ways, they got everything set. And I don't know—I feel like I become less approachable <laughs> because I'm not available. <laughs> you know, I'm—I'm I'm available, you know, on that bail for that guy who's coming up trying to do better, and I can see their equipment and give them suggestions. And I think you can um, still
0: do it as a pro, man. I, you should, you should come up and join us in the pro class. Come slum it with me, dude.
1: <laughs> I will when I'm fifty. <laughs>
0: Well, awesome, Mike. Thank you for coming on the show, dude. I really appreciate it, man.
1: Thanks for having me, Wendell. I appreciate it. appreciate you doing what you're doing out there on the West Coast. Oh, thank you,
0: man. Uh, Well, dude, I'd love to have you back on, man. Uh, Kick kick some ass, dude, and we'll get you back on.
1: Likewise. Appreciate it.
0: All right, brother. Have a good Saturday.
1: You too. Later. Bye.